I think we're at the precipice of really next level civilizational change. And it's probably going to be messy a little bit in the transitionary period. But on the other side of this, or as we move forward, I think more good is coming than bad. And that's something to be hopeful for. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about Wow, what is it, like four months now? And I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up, it is Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Also today we have Level. Now as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars, it's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD which is L-V-L 
www.ghostbusters.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. John. Hi. Hey, Peter. How you doing? I'm doing really well. How you doing? Good, man. This is the, I think, a record for our longest table. It's a bit weird. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I should be closer to you somehow. But It would have been the other side, but I think it's become a meme. We like it. But listen, uh, I've been pestering you, what, for about a year now, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think at the last conference, we talked about it, and it's such a whirlwind that nothing got put together, and mm-hmm. I've been you know, buzzing around the world, as have you, so. Yeah, well, we, we, I wanted to do it in person. I, I don't like the Zoom interviews. And, yeah, it's uh, better. Uh, I, as you know, I like your show, and I think uh, I like the way you frame conversations, so I've always wanted to sit down and have this conversation with you, and th- there's a topic that I really want to get into with you is basically freedom, keep it as simple as possible, because I myself am trying to explore what that means to people, and uh, I've had a lot of conversations with people recently discussing freedom. Mm. There is some pushback I get that I'm seen as a sympathizer of the government, uh, but I'm trying to fully understand what freedom means mm-hmm. to different individuals and what the trade-offs are and and what that means for people in different countries. So it's a, it's an area I'm, I'm desperately trying to explore in, in the most honest way possible. And I, I was reading your article, the one you sent me, it's a long paper. <laughs> You get through it all? I didn't get through it all. There, there were bits to, the bits in the middle I kind of skimmed. But what happened was I kind of ended up reading yours alongside Gigi's recent paper mm-hmm. on... on um, uh, Law and language. Yeah, and rights. And, yeah. and I kind of... I was kind of reading the two together and I kind of felt that was a great framework of conversation. Well, I actually get the chance to speak with Gigi like once a week for an hour, an hour and a half. So it's awesome to have someone of that quality and intellect to bounce these ideas off of and refine and stuff like that. So he's been on this before. Right? Yeah, he's yeah. been on before. I'd love to get him on again. I, I want to talk about his recent article with yeah, him. I, w- I want should. to get into that because there's a lot of interesting things within his article. I haven't completely finished it. I'm about, it's a long one too. I know. I'm about 75% through. But it's mm. funny when I was reading it, I was reading it and then I'll go back to yours and then I was reading yours and go back. I, I don't know why. I was just going between the two of them um, for the last 24 hours. But I am trying desperately to understand what freedom means for different people because I'm trying to understand if the freedom people want, they really understand the consequences and also certain pursuits or types of freedom, does that actually lead to less freedom? And, and I think I want to dig into that with you and understand what it means to you. Sure. What does it mean to you? Uh, I, I don't think there is a individual simple way of defining freedom. Mm-hmm. I think there's multiple freedom or multiple different spectrums. I think a good way of of explaining it is when I um when I hear people talk about decentralization, you know, this is decentralized and this isn't and people say decentralization is a, a spectrum. Um I kind of think of freedom as a spectrum as well. And I've always thought where directionally is uh where's a project heading? I would say Ethereum directionally, it becomes more centralized over time, whereas actually I think Bitcoin becomes more decentralized. So I, I'm, I'm trying to think of freedom in that kind of framework. Uh, are we becoming more free or less free? Mm-hmm. I don't think there is a universal definition of what exactly freedom is to an individual. Oh, I struggle to come with it. I certainly think directionally we're becoming less free in certain ways. And maybe in other ways we become more free. I mean, with Bitcoin we become more free. But, mm-hmm. but for me... Um, freedom is more like a, a pursuit is something we are 
either individually or collectively trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something I'm wrestling with really, really in a hard way at the moment and again, a lot of pushback on it. But I, I cannot stop pursuing this topic. What, what does it mean to you? Well, I think freedom is like the ultimate. It's, it's the thing that you want to figure out. And there's so many different ways that you can attack it, right? There's the political form of freedom. There's a spiritual form of freedom, the idea of liberation, right? Liberation from suffering, liberation from uh, your ego self and all that kind of stuff. So it's a a big topic, but I think that's why it deserves so much attention. And, you know, I think we have to recognize, you know, The Sovereign Individual is a very popular book in this space, right? And one of the theses that comes out of that is, much as you might want to impose a philosophy on your current era, whether it's now or 500 years from now or whatever, and your ideas about freedom, you're somewhat bound by the technologies available at the time and how much they foster your ability to maintain your independence and maintain your freedom. And I agree with that, right? So, and I use that as a preface to say, like, who cares what we think, basically? You know, because the second we decide to work together, right, trade, form a society, form a culture, you're giving something up as a result of being a part of that group, right? Socialization of various kinds. And so like you could get granular like that and say like the freest way for me to be is to live out in the forest by myself and, you know, hunt and forage and live off fresh water. And is that the ultimate freedom? And in my opinion, the answer is no. I think freedom is not just your ability to do whatever you want but it's also your ability to access more potential, more creativity, more ability to yeah, be a force for creation in the world, for the emergence of novelty in the world, whether that's ideas or products and services or writing or whatever. And so what's so amazing about Bitcoin is I, I think you're right in that right now, for whatever reason, a confluence of technological, political, historical, even religious factors, we're in a period where the systems that we've relied on to interact and cooperate are seem to be reaching are under stress at least whether they're at a breaking point i don't know but they're definitely under stress and as a result of that stress i think the as those systems try to maintain themselves they encroach upon people's independence and their freedom and their liberty more than perhaps they set out to do originally because as things break down it's kind of like you're grasping for ways to survive whatever you know whether you're an institution or a network or an individual, you kind of become desperate, right? And I think that's what's happening. And Bitcoin is this force that's, you know, I think it's a probably the most powerful liberating force that we've ever come across. Now we could nitpick, you know, is it language? Is it the internet? Is it this kind of stuff? But I think by virtue of the fact that it allows you to establish such an inviolable, inviolable property right over what is the highest external manifestation of you let's say in your money right because that's your money is the emblem of your previously sacrificed time and energy and we use that to trade and to determine the value of things and to work with one another and up until now that's been confiscatable either directly or indirectly by inflation you know most people especially in this space are aware of that and this allows you to have a freedom over that stored time and energy that we've never had before And, you know, one of the things that I love digging into in my podcast and all the conversations we have around a conference like this is it's evident that people are changing dramatically as a result of this. I mean, you even you started this by saying, like, I'm grappling with this idea of freedom. 
you only grapple with things because you think there's something relevant on the other end of that that will alter your perspective for the good, that will bring you closer to a value that you're trying to get to. And I see that represented in so many people in this space. I mean, people come up to me all the time at a conference like this and they're like, I just want to let you know that, you know, going down the rabbit hole, whether and consuming your content, Peter's, Rob's, whomever's, has changed my life. Like I used to be whatever, addiction, substance abuse, bad relationships, aimless in life. And now by virtue of my pursuit of understanding of this thing and establishing greater freedom in my life and the corollary to that, which is taking more responsibility in my life and the, the way in which an understanding of Bitcoin and how fundamental money is to a culture and a market and a society has caused me to have a more hopeful vision for the future. I am now take, you know, I'm way better off. I'm taking care of my health. I'm establishing better relationships in my life. I'm pursuing work that I find meaningful. It's outstanding. And so this is why, you know, when I write it, the piece I wrote that you partially got through makes some pretty bold claims there at the end, you know, because I'm trying to figure out why is it that this thing is so meaningful to people. And I think the feeling or sense, even striving that we all have for liberty and liberation, liberation from our own anxiety and suffering, liberation from the strictures of society that are imposed on us is part of that pursuit. And when you are able to transcend that in various ways, it's very powerful. And so, I mean, to me, more so than the macro, more so than the monetary history, more so than the, the sick gains from being involved in Bitcoin, to me, the most powerful thing is to witness all these people. You know, I've got my dad here and what he, he remarked last night at the beefsteak, he's like, everyone's so happy and positive and humble and respectful and polite. Like, what is this? And that's the question I've been asking. What the fuck is this? What's going on here? Because I tend to think it's way stranger than we give it credit for. And we're all just kind of here grasping in the dark, trying to figure out what it's all about. Um, but I think, you know, to put a pin in your original question is a greater felt sense of freedom because of the qualities of Bitcoin and what using it allows for is causing people to one, take more responsibility and two, see a different future on the horizon they, than they had seen before. And just anecdotally, um, you know, my perspective prior to Bitcoin, I was like a gold bug type. You know, I was always very critical of uh, politics and government and all that jazz, you know, somewhat of your typical gold bug. Um, but what do you do? You know, you look out on the world and you look at, you know, the revolving door of big business and government and, you know, all these massive forces that at least from my perspective were not serving the world, broadly speaking, we're not serving humanity. And maybe I was a bit young and naive and maybe I was overly critical. I mean, there's always some of that. We all have our biases. But the punchline was, I didn't see how the mess of the world could get turned around. And I think there's a lot of people in the world today that feel that way, right? The nihilism, the anxiety, the depression, the substance abuse, all that's a part of that. As a result of that, I kind of checked out. You know, I, I worked, I made money. I didn't treat my body or my health very well. I probably wasn't as, you know, mentally uh, with it and engaged as I am now and I strive to be now. But then when you figure out that there might be something emerging here in Bitcoin that can help rectify some of those issues at a very fundamental level, and you don't have to have all these fights at a higher level. If you can fix it down here, as we often say, right? Fix the money, fix the world. But if you can fix that base layer, then I think a lot of stuff naturally gets fixed. And the result of that as an individual is you start to see a more hopeful future. And that awakens something in you to say, 
I want to be a part. That's a future that I want to be congruent with or I want to be a part of, right? That's worth my effort. That's worth my energy. And I think that's happening on a, you know, a fair, a growing scale now. And the fact that we're at a conference this week that's going to have 30,000 people, you know, in it, I think is a reflection of that. And, you know, I, I think it's awesome that we have these conversations and try to explore what's going on because there is a, there's a, a significant hunger for asking the question, what's going, like, what is this? What's going on? Why are we being so transformed by it? Yeah, that's a re really interesting point you bring up there because if I just think in terms of the, the shifts that have happened in my life over the last five years, um, I think of the Bitcoin I hold and you mentioned sick gains. But actually, I haven't really realized much of that. I just hold it and it sits there. So really, the fundamental shifts in terms of my financial position haven't fundamentally changed from holding Bitcoin. Yes, the podcast generates a revenue, but it's just, just a job. I could have had any other job. Mm. I actually haven't realized hardly any financial gains from holding Bitcoin. Yet there's this whole shift in parts of your life and the way that you think about things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still to fix the health bit. That's, not, that's a bit I do need to get a grip of. But um, that wider kind of idea of the, the things you question about life or that kind of pursuit of freedom, that freedom to make your own choices, that, that freedom to to pursue ideas and discuss and have conversations and that wider collective group of uh, people who are thinking about topics about how to improve the world is, is this whole other benefit from Bitcoin that it's hard to communicate with people. Mm. When you meet somebody who's new to Bitcoin, you tend to talk about the monetary properties or the technology. I don't know, it might be different for you, but I, very, I, don't, very, I don't really start from the point of, oh, it's shifted my entire thinking about life and how I consider family. And I mean, friendship. it's a tough place to start. Yeah, it is, but it's probably the most important part. I think, I mean, why do we do anything? Yeah. Why do we go towards anything? Why do you strive to achieve anything? Because you think there's value in doing so. What yeah. does that mean? It means that you think your perspective or your life is going to be updated in some capacity that you deem worthwhile as a result of that action. You know, so I think we're all pursuing this for that reason. And, you know, it's not always obvious and you follow the market and you follow the price signals to some degree. But I'm not so interested in the, in the economic. For me, it seems like a foregone conclusion. I know this all might fail and there's a bit of hubris in that. But I think the economic and monetary case for Bitcoin is pretty ironclad. I think understanding the, what are the implications of the introduction of, such, uh, of something that we ascribe so much value to. What are the implications of that in our lives and how we live our lives and the things that we pursue? You know, to that point about like, we're always striving to go towards greater value, right? We want to experience greater value in our life. What does that even mean? You know, so this introduces questions about, well, what is value? And as you say, what is freedom? Is freedom one of the highest values? Is truth one of the highest values? Is love one of the highest values? I think the answer to those three questions is probably yes. But understanding the nuance of what all that means and how it influences how you orient yourself in the world, I think are the most important questions. And, I, you know, I'll preface all this by saying I might be insane, right? Like many of us might be insane. I mean, it's a, it's a weird group of people, Bitcoiners, right? Yep. And, you know, I introduced you to one of my buddies last night who mm -hmm. I love dearly, dearly, Eric Kaysen. And, you know, he, he just lets it roll, right? Hard on his sleeve. He'll tell you exactly what he thinks. And to the point about like, usually you kind of massage into the conversation about transformation, that kind of stuff. He just he drops it on you. In, right. And, you, you know, God love him for it because that's, 
that's what he's seeing and that's what turns him on and that's what stimulates him intellectually and that's the truth he's pursuing and you know for what it's worth i think there's a lot of uh, validity in in his perspective and that's why i enjoy conversations with him so much but um yeah i mean i i think that's the rub why do we do what we do and why is bitcoin influencing what we do and if you want to look into the fundamentals of what value is and what freedom and truth and love and these things are i think necessarily you have to you end up in the domain that has previously spent a lot of time on this which would be philosophy and religion spirituality broadly speaking you know what did the people in the past who were trying to figure out the most important or valuable or beneficial things to be oriented by in your life the things to ground your perspective in what did they have to say about these questions because they spent a lot of time on them you know there's 5000 years of written history before the moment we're in right now and you know i think we at our great disservice dismiss the insights of the past because we find fault in some of the people that uh had those insights yeah so when i came into this conversation i was thinking we were going to spend a lot of time perhaps talking about political freedom or how politics constrains freedom or mm. maybe enables freedom but with everything you said now and the question you asked me at the start what what does freedom mean to me actually there's other there are other answers to that like freedom to me is control of time like can i wake up every day and choose what i want to do and that's a really important thing because i've had really shitty jobs mm -hmm. where i have a shitty boss and i hate what i do and it's you know monotonous and i come home and i'm tired and i go to bed i i used to work in the advertising industry and i didn't feel particularly free doing that now it's you know i get up i get to hang out with my friends we get to make a show i get to see you and have a conversation and then i can have some lunch and sit in the pool. like it's it's that freedom is unbelievable yeah and i have the freedom to creatively pursue what i want we could rename the show and next week start interviewing different people and and i think the answer to that question you originally asked me like what is freedom to me actually freedom the freedom the freedom to pursue my time and use my time how i want is actually prob i can probably answer that question now that you asked earlier that's probably the most important thing to me yeah well i would agree but what's interesting about that circumstance i mean we we grow up in a system i think we'd all you know we have different uh, views on the educational system and the political apparatus and all that kind of stuff but i think we can broadly agree that there's a, a lot of room for improvement in how we bring people up in culture and society today and so i think by virtue of the fact that the money's been corrupted and people are are placed in an unnecessarily deprived economic situation as a result of the surreptitious theft of their time and energy through through the money as well as the institutions that benefit from that theft and then get to dictate how people come up through education through institutions etc i think what it means is that people never are rarely or not as often confronted with the, that question so people don't even get to experience freedom in the first place cuz they're so often in a deprived state thank you ben thank you brother um and so you know the question i'd like to throw back at you and it's probably the the focus of this conversation is once you have freedom then the question becomes what the fuck do you do with it cuz i think a lot of bitcoiners are starting to realize like if you accumulate enough bitcoin and it'll be there for you in the future and nobody can take it from you you know like if you honk your horn in ottawa doesn't matter if you do whatever and if you're fleeing ukraine russia sir whatever it doesn't matter like that that can be there for you and that's a a very powerful sense that you can maneuver through the future no matter what because at least you have a foundation of 
that degree of security and freedom. But because many of our lives have been take this test, do this exam, follow this course, work, 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 because you need to, because you don't have en enough money to live, et cetera. When you're granted that freedom, I think a lot of us are starting to grapple with the question, like, well, what do you do with it? Like, okay, I, you can do whatever you want now. What's most important to you? What's most meaningful to you? Well, it makes me think of Eric Weinstein when uh, the first got a chance to sit down with him. And uh, it was a really, really prominent interview for me and it really stuck with me. I really wrestled with it. For, That's the one you did last year this time? Yeah. I remember it. I yeah. really wrestled with that for a long time when he was saying, like, it was like a, a, an outsider holding a mirror up to us and saying, I see you all with your laser eyes and your Lambos and your, your shit on Twitter, but like, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you doing here? Like, what's the goal? What are you, what are you trying to do? And, and we, we thought about that a lot. Um, we discussed it a lot. I've thought about it a lot. He meant with this podcast. No, no, no. Just gem Bitcoiners Bitcoin. in general. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, uh, are, are we, what fundamental changes are we making? Like, if we just spend all day on Twitter arguing about freedom and property rights, okay, that's great. But where are we, where are we fundamentally making changes? Mm -hmm. um, I think you can look at some interesting stuff being done in the energy sector and I say, okay, that's a fundamental change that people are making, but where else are we actually fundamentally making a change? And, and that stuck with me a lot. So when you ask me now, it's like, now you have this, what do you do with it? I, I think there's a, there's a couple of answers. There's what I want to do selfishly for me, but also what I feel I have a sense of responsibility to do as well. Mm -hmm. So selfishly for me, I, I want to run a football club. That is, that is my goal. I also want to be a writer. They're, they're, they're the things I selfishly want to do. But where I also feel a sense of responsibility, say, with this platform, because it's, you know, it's grown into something that I, I could not have prepared for. I think I have a responsibility to allow as many people with different voices to speak and explain their perspectives, where they're coming from, what's important to them, and, and, try, and try and draw people together to be a bit more empathetic to each other and to try and walk to more collective, better ideas, mm -hmm. which is why I always want to have people on I disagree with rather than people I agree with. Yeah. So I feel like when you ask me that question, I say, I ha uh, what do I do with that? I, I do what I want to do for me. So I'm happy and feel like I, am, I feel content, but I also feel like I also have to pursue things for other people because I feel that's like my moral responsibility. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. But what about you? Well, hold on now. So okay. you, you're, you're saying you, you know Good you, you want to bring different viewpoints together. Yeah. Right. You 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 want to clash those ideas, presumably. Uh, because you think something of value can be derived from that. Yeah. Maybe we can both come together, share our perspective, and something new might emerge. Mm -hmm. And what is the purpose of that new thing emerging? What are you striving for when you're feeling that impulse to do that? Um, I want to see less conflict. Right, so maybe peace would yeah. be like a, a value or virtue that you're seeking there. Yeah. And union, unity of, of various kinds. Yeah. By virtue of that, yeah. Um, more so, like all, all I see around me at the moment is fight, fight. fight. It, it <laughs> makes me think of this um, book. I, I read this book by this guy, Judah Krishnamurti. He's like this Indian philosopher. I've, Love like, him. I've got a big portrait of him tattooed on my leg. Do you? Yeah. I, he was, um, when I got divorced, I ended up just reading 
his stuff. It was a, it's a place to just like ground me, to, f to make me not think about divorce. And uh -huh. I was just reading his stuff. He's great. He is great. And he was talking about, uh, he was actually, it was, I discovered him through this band called Stick to Your Guns because they always have, they always play parts of like quotes of his over their songs. And he was just saying about the world, it's everything is fight, fight, fight. Mm. All around us is fight, fight, fight. And that's all I feel at the moment. Whether it's out in Ukraine and Russia or whether it's on Twitter, all I'm seeing is fights. Yeah. Fight, fight, fight. And I'm like, what, what? Am I, am I, am I contributing to that? I, I certainly have. I can, play, I can be a massive prick at times. And, right and create conflict and I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. Well, it's interesting you bring up Krishnamurti because he, he was one of the first philosophers that I started reading. And he was instrumental, I think, in, in my development in that, and it's perfectly relevant to the conversation we're having because I would generally characterize his approach to things as being like, I don't know the answer, let's talk. Mm -hmm. Let's talk honestly, sincerely, see what we can find. You know, he's not one of these prescriptive people like this is, you know, the path of God, or this is what's true, or this is what's right. He's a very, you know, he was a very intelligent guy. There's all these great videos of him on, on YouTube. Yeah. And he just would often sit down and ask questions, like kind of Socratic method sort of thing, and just see what might be elucidated through honest conversation, which again, is one of the why, you know, free speech is so important. And that's one of the things that, you know, we're really, is under threat these days. But to your point about fighting, I mean, I'm of two minds of this. I... I'm a fan of non-fatal uh, voluntary conflict, let's say. So whether that's like UFC and martial arts, you know, let's say that's the manifestation in the physical world, or if it's two people deciding, let's go head to head and, and have it out. I think the problem is, is when the intention or the desire is to cancel, hurt, insult, like it, when it doesn't have a productive end in mind. Yep. You know, like when you fight someone physically, it's not you don't hate them and want to hurt them. You want to see what you're made of. It's trying to de determine and develop your talents. What I mean is, I think there's a role for conflict. And, and especially when everything today is so PC, everything is so censored. When people get this sense of freedom that Bitcoin seems to be granting, you know, I, even though I look at some of the rhetoric on Twitter especially, and I'm like, well, I wouldn't engage that way but I don't necessarily dislike it because I can see where it's coming from when people have grown up in a culture where you can't say certain things. If you say this in your school, online, in politics, you're canceled, you're derided, you're whatever. I mean, it's free speech in action. Mm -hmm. And yes, it comes with the imperfections that everybody has, right? Because none of us are perfect. So when you, when you let that rip, when you kind of express that degree of freedom that you have, maybe it comes with some baggage. You know, but I try to see it as a positive in terms of like, I'd rather see like unlimited free speech with all the imperfections of the person who's saying it rather than having taboo things that we can't say and we can't discuss or ways in which we can't express ourselves. I know it's like, it's destructive in, at times, right? But I, I also don't even know if I'm the one that should be judging that. I mean, how do I know it's destructive? How do I know that you know, an encounter you might have with someone on Twitter. I mean, barring like the really egregious stuff, which you, I've seen, you know, you mm. get certain DMs and stuff. Physical violence is a total non-starter, obviously, right? And that should be condemned at, like fully. But when it's prodding and poking all, and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I kind of like it. And, you know, you brought up Eric Weinstein before. Uh, and, you know, people like him have been dipping their toes in the space over the last couple of years, right? Yep. Like the people from 
intellectuals or people that are uh, have followings in, in Norman world are coming in and, you know, they're kind of oftentimes will be like, I'm new to Bitcoin. I'm here to fix Bitcoin. Right. And Eric has a bit of that, you know, yeah. to be fair and to call a spade a spade. But I like that this space and, and the, the culture that's emerging around this is so intent on determining the character of people that there's this, whether it's intentional or not, if you can get through that, like if you can sustain the barrage and, and still determine, I don't care what you're going to say to me. I don't care the language you use. I'm here to understand the truth of this thing and the value that it might hold. So you can go fuck yourself too. Because I don't care about your opinion. I care about this thing and using it for, to strive for greater value in my life. But if you get turned around and you block people and you say, oh, that wasn't very nice. You said this or that. It, to, in my mind, I, I, it seems to bring in question how committed you are to understanding the actual thing rather than having your ego stroked in some way or being treated a certain way because outside of this culture, you're treated that way. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, I think the point I was trying to make is um, it's what is productive. Like, I, I, don't, I don't mind conflict. I like. But how it. do we know the answer to that? Well, no, I, I can only make a choice of what's productive for me. Um, sure. So uh, I like, I'm like, I'm not a huge MMA fan, but a huge boxing fan. I love it. This conversation could descend into an argument. It, I, it never does. But just say it did. Uh -huh. I know afterwards we'll still hug it out and say that was cool. I'm glad we got somewhere. But for me, it's like, where can I be productive? Uh, I, I don't think I ever help or change many people's mind in a fight on Twitter. Uh, no, fair enough. Yeah. But, but if I'm spending 10, 20 hours a week doing that, actually, could I spend another 10, 20 hours a week reading, sitting down with people, having conversations, getting them recorded, they get out, you know, 50, 100,000 people listen to that conversation and that helps some other people navigate a topic or research further. Like, is that a more productive use of my time? Uh, and I think that's what it is. Like, yeah, almost certainly. Yeah. So I'm trying to avoid the, the unnecessary, unproductive conflicts that add little value. It doesn't mean I don't go and dip. I still go and look on Twitter. I'm like, what are people discussing this week? <laughs> like, really interesting one was seeing Nick Carter fighting that um, that climate guy. What is his name? Peter something. And this guy came out with a, like an appeal to authority about his like experience, understanding energy and mm. kind of conflict with Nick. And I was like, that was a useful conflict. Yeah. That, that for me gave an understanding of both characters. And that gave for me an understanding of like the topics being discussed and what was at risk. And I thought that's useful conflict. Mm. But what is productive for me, this is more productive. Sure. So it's, yeah, it's just about going back to your original question, like what do you do with that freedom? I don't think it's spending 20 hours a week on Twitter, it's it's spending 20 hours a week, extra, extra hours a week, producing as, as much useful stuff for other people as possible. Yeah, sure. There's probably more meaningful things you could be doing than, you know, getting in spats on Twitter. Yeah. Right. And I guess to sum up my point, like I think conflict reveals character. And I think that part of what's happening in this culture is not only are we trying to discern everyone's character. Can I trust you? What are you about? Do yeah. I want to, you know, be connected with you? But we're also, our own characters are being refined and upgraded as a result of being a part of this whole thing. And so we're also wondering, in what manner should I upgrade my character? And in order to do that, we kind of have to get a clear image of what your character is like and what their character is like. And I think that's a big part of the process. And to your point about like, you know, if we butted heads here, we'd hug it out. I think that speaks to, you know, you brought up truth at the beginning and 
is a concept we often talk about. I think if your allegiance, like your orientation for why you do things, and this is why I was drilling down a little bit on, on your motivations, if it is to the pursuit of truth, let's say, in this particular case, it might be freedom, it might be love, it might be peace, it might be whatever. But let's say you know, truth is one of the big ones. Then that's going to dictate how you engage in all this stuff. If, if my primary orientation is my own self-gain, the preservation of my image of myself, my ego, well, then that will dictate how I engage with you. And I may want to beat you and not hug it out after because I want to walk away and be like, fuck that guy. I won. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But if my allegiance is, I don't care about any of that shit. I want a better understanding of the truth of whatever the issue, matter, subject we're talking about is. If that's the highest allegiance, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna act as though, I'm trying to get, the best out of you. Like I want to, huh. I want to know your deepest insights because I want to see if they're valid for me, and I want to see if they can refine my perspective. And even if we don't line up on any of them. At least at the end, I could say, thank you. And it's the same in, you know, in martial arts and sparring. You know, like, I don't want to pound your face in. I want to see how good I am at refining my skills. And then at the end, I want to say thank you to you because you put yourself on the line. You know, in one, one capacity, it's your, you've subjected your own ego to the truth. And another one, you've subjected your body to, you know, in service of the process that we're collectively discovering. And that's a really interesting point. What does it mean in the former example? What does it mean when you subject, when you subordinate your ego, right? Things exclusively accumulating to your conception of yourself and your gain to a higher value, in this case, truth. And this is why we wind up in, in the religious and spiritual, you know, landscape when we talk about these things, because I think part of that enterprise is discovering what is the value that's most beneficial or worthwhile to support, subordinate yourself to for the production of a meaningful life. I think that's generally the religious enterprise. And so what all these people throughout the ages have been doing is saying like, well, yeah, okay, we agree with that question. What are the values? And I think truth, freedom, love are some of them. So when we talk about freedom, you know, the political aspects of freedom are interesting, but I think they come from a more base layer of how we understand those values. And you know, I'm still as imperfect as anyone else and still on my own journey, but I'm starting to not even intellectually understand, but feel the benefit of subordinating myself to a value or subordinating my conception of myself and my ego to a value higher than myself. You know, and, and you know, I remember when I sent you that thing, you're yeah. like, I'm not religious. And I said, I'm not either. You know, I, I don't ascribe to any particular faith because I think a lot of them are born out of the same pursuits, this, this very one that we're discussing. And I, just to, I know this is a complicated subject, but I think the, the notion of God, if we want to go there, if subordinating yourself to certain values, again, let's keep going with this, this tract of truth. Uh -huh. If that does lead to a better life for you and the people around you, right? So, and, and that's tricky to nail down. Because in our world today, like better life might be, are you a billionaire? Is that, is that the description? Or is it waking up and feeling content and energized and having a lot of loving relationships in your life and feeling strong and you know, all that jazz. So success is a hard one to nail down, but your own individual success, however we might come to a definition of that and harmony with those with whom you're interacting and trying to strive forward with. What are the things that optimize for that? And can we say that if we've, 
if we gain any clarity on what those values are and we actually embody them and live them and they actually work, what does that say about this reality that we find ourselves in? Can we say that it, it somehow is constructed or resonant with those values? And if we can, is that somewhere near the notion of a God that says, if you align with certain values, you will receive the benefit of having done so? I don't know, but interesting thoughts. Okay. So, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going with you here. So, because I, I, I'm not a religious person. My, my mother was. Um, I was raised a Christian, went to church, I've, but I'm just not religious. I'm a science nerd and I, I, I read a lot of uh, science nerdy liter literature and trying to understand how the universe works and yada, yada. And for me, there's, there's no role for God in that. But could you, uh, in a similar way, subordinate yourself to <clears throat> the collective, like humanity as a collective, like subordinate yourself? Am I doing the best to create the best environment for everyone around me and as far as that reaches? Is that a, could that be a similar thing? I mean, I definitely, because I think that's one of the components of being part of a harmonious whole, right? Yeah. But and, you know, let's, let's talk about this religious thing for a while, right? And we'll probably piss a lot of people off by treading, you know, sloppily through this, era, this territory, but... I built a career on treading yeah, sloppily I know, I know. through topics. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it goes without saying that the religious institutions around the world, whatever they are and wherever they come from, maybe... I think we're, we're founded on profound insight and a worthwhile enterprise and altruistic people. And they, when they've become institutionalized and in an attempt to be propagated and shared, they've probably become corrupted, possibly irredeemably so, we shall see. And they've also grown up in a world where we weren't globally connected like this, you know? So they all grew up in isolation. And now we live in a world where we have, I mean, you can, look into ancient Indian religions, Egyptian religions, you know, Native American religions. I mean, it's all there for our, you know, for us to study now. And I don't think that component of life, I mean, this is what we're talking about. We're saying, what are the best values to orient yourself by? I think that's what religion is. The answers to those questions have been codified, written down, and then stewarded. But that stewarded has, has created a separation between the actual pursuit of those values by every individual and an organization that seeks to gain from guarding that information, right? So I, you know, and, and much has been done in the name of fill in the blank religion, much bad stuff has been done, but we don't even, I mean, to be fair, we don't know that it would have been better had that not been the case. Maybe religion, I mean, by virtue of the fact that all of recorded history, we have examples of it, maybe that speaks to its central importance. Maybe as much as we've fumbled throughout our history and all the war and conflict and all the other bullshit, maybe it would have been way worse if we didn't have a unifying value, something you know, to come together on and say, yes, all the other things we might disagree on, again, this is the topic of our conversation today, we, we believe that these values should be held up as the highest. And so the, my current thinking on it is that Maybe we, we are moving into a period with the, where the religious institutions are going to dissolve in various forms. 
but I hope we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because I think there's a lot of useful insight that they've come up with. And so let's investigate them in conjunction with philosophy, in conjunction with science, in conjunction, conjunction with psychology, with, with all of it, and try to determine what values do we most orient ourselves by for a good life. And you know, the final point I make on this is we can't act without that, right? The, you deciding to go here or go there, there's a value judgment inherent in that. What's, what's guiding those decisions? And I think the recognition of the central importance of that, let's say, the membrane of value that exists in between you and how you act in the world and determines your action. What's the most valid one to have? Or what's the most valid group of ones to have? And this, I mean, I think this is why I keep coming back to truth, freedom, love, peace. I think we've determined over the last 5,000 years that like those are some of the best ones to get down with and to be oriented by. And I think the final, you know, we were talking about liberation and freedom at the beginning, you know, and I like looking at, you know, the idea of liberation from whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or all these different cultures, the final act of liberation is often sacrificing yourself, subordinating yourself to, the high, to a higher value so that you are directed by that and your actions are in service of the higher value. And you kind of already said that that's the case. Like you're saying like, well, part of my actions at least are to foster the improvement of humanity, to help educate people, to help cr create less conflict and more peace. What is that but you subordinating your, subordinating your action in service of the value of peace? And so I, you know, for whatever reason, the emergence of Bitcoin and how it seems to be changing people is causing people to ask these questions more. Maybe it's because they have more time and freedom on their hands to ask the questions. Maybe it's because Bitcoin itself seems to be instantiated or an instantiation of truth, you know, an, an immutable truth that grants freedom. And I think, you know, that in itself is a very profound reflection of insights that we've seen in various religious traditions before. The truth that grants liberation. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months, and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it's Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SaaS or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. 
You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is BCB group.com forward slash Peter. Also today, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And I, I think that wraps us all the way back to what you said at the start. It's like only since uh, going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and having to deal with a certain amount of truth, undeniable truth, mm-hmm that you question other you know, big decisions in your life based around those truths. Yeah. And I also, I, but I also think there becomes like this kind of like, there is also this like collective community pressure to, to be a better person. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like, oh, I've got some Bitcoin now. Is that I'm, good or bad yeah. though? Oh no, I think it's great. Yeah. I, I think it's great, but at the same time, uh, I still think we need some individualism within that and we need characters and we need 100%. we don't want to be just the homogenous group of people who all absolutely act the not. Same. Yeah. You know, I mean, the answer is I'll listen to you, I'll have these conversations, I'll thank you for holding me to a higher standard, but I, the buck stops with me. I'll decide at the end of the day whether I value your input or not and whether I'm going to integrate it into who I am and the, the actions that I choose or not. I think you can have both. You know, you can say thank you and fuck you at the same time. You know, that's what all this is about, right? So, you know, I, I really value the fact that the, it's easy to criticize a culture that, you know, the purity tests and all that kind of stuff. It'd mm-hmm. be easy to criticize. But I, I, I see it as a mirror and I, and I don't take it as gospel. If it happens to me, I say, oh, that's interesting feedback. And then now I'll decide. I'll integrate it. I'll put it through my own value framework and I'll decide what's right for me. You know, and that's what we all have to do. Because if we don't, if we just follow the crowd, if we're subject to other people's uh, whims, if we do things under pressure, we've lost ourselves. That's the opposite of freedom. You're doing what other people dictate for you, not what you dictate for yourself. And I think the thing that allows us to have greater confidence in rejecting the masses and the pressure that comes from them is having more conviction in why we make the decisions we make. 
which is very much in line with the discussion of values we've been having. And a you know, final point about like why Bitcoin is almost like a teacher in this regard. And I know this sounds, you know, you know what would Jesus do, the phrase? You know, like, well, what, what would Bitcoin do? Because Bitcoin is this thing. Bitcoin is the guru. Well, it doesn't violate itself. <laughs> it, it doesn't yeah. violate its own truth. And so knowing that, how much pressure does that put on you as an individual to say, I'm not going to violate my own truth. That seems right. And so maybe I should embody that same principle. Way harder for, for imperfect people in like the chaos of life. But I'm, I'm coming to be more and more convicted that that way of approaching things, that determining the values that bring the best world about as we interact together, and then subordinating my own interest to them by some weird metaphysical whatever things that we don't understand is the way to achieve the world that we would probably all agree we want. It may not serve us in the short term, right? We, there may be some short-term gain, but how many things in life are there that, that hurt in the now but are beneficial later on? I mean, working out is a super simple one. You know, it sucks, right? It's painful and you're lazy and all that jazz. But if you do it enough, you benefit in the future. And so... What are you saying, John? Saying we got to do, go do sprints after this. <laughs> Mate, if my back could take it, I would, I would love to sprint. How is your back? I thought you got a no, surgery. I, I did. Uh, I was good for three months. Uh, I was back cycling, going to the gym, popped again. Fuck. And now I can't, I can't run for a minute. I can swim. I can walk. A small amount of cycling. Um, but I'd probably have to have another Dude, where's surgery. your personal trainer around here? You got all this crew, you know, fancy house. Where's the trainer that comes with you, cooks the meals? Yeah, Emma. Where's our personal trainer? <laughs> That's, that'll be the next one. Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have to have another surgery, an actual fusion now. Um, but I don't mind that. I mean, Tiger Woods has a fusion he's about, and a car crash, and he's about to compete in the Masters. So Yeah. I'll, but, uh, you know, w one final point that comes to mind, like we can, it's easy to think we can control so many things. And like, if I just make this decision that serves me now, then I'll make this decision later and then this decision later. But if you look back on your life, I mean, certainly you don't get, for example, to this stage, you know, with everything that's going around here without some intentionality. But I think we'd all admit that a lot of it, there was a lot of happenstance, there was a lot of serendipity, all that kind of stuff, spontaneity. And so like, what allows that to happen? Like, how do we, what's happening there? And I think if we, if we try to construct a world purely based on our intention and connecting all these dots out into the future, we'll probably be disappointed and we'll probably not foster the best life for ourselves and others. If we direct our lives and subordinate it to certain principles, maybe we have a better chance. I, I guess that's kind of the point. Determining which truth to subordinate yourself to in any situation is, is tricky, yeah. right? Like if you're, you know, uh, someone in Nazi Germany and you're hiding Jews and the guy comes to your door and says, like, are you hiding Jews in this house? Well, the truthful answer is yes, right? But that's not the best truthful answer, no. right? So how do you mediate, how do you determine what's right? And so, even though you can't always have an easy layup answer, like, well, I'm just gonna subordinate myself to this value and I'll figure it out. Like, it, it's not that easy. Uh -huh. But I think the answer involves considering that process. Yeah, and there's a lot of ego wrapped up in some of these decisions, decisions as well. Yeah. <laughs> How's this all evolved for you though? Like, How so? Well, so, I mean, I don't know, you said you're previously a gold bug. I don't know what, your, what was your Bitcoin year, your origination year. I bought Bitcoin in Bali in 2014 for the right. first time. Okay. Uh, how different are you now from then? I mean, the short answer is I've always been 
somewhat of a contrarian black sheep. Uh-huh. I'm sure my old man can reflect on that afterwards a little bit. But, you know, I always thought there was something more. And I've always been insanely curious and to a fault, right? Because, you know, you need to be able to focus on things to build a career and a life and that kind of stuff. And I've always just been so consumed with the questions, right? And, uh, and part of the reason why I was lost, I referred to earlier, was like for a few years, I was living in China for a decade, pursuing a career in finance and then in natural medicine, was like I didn't know how the world could be improved. And so I still always took care of myself. Health has always been a priority. Intellectual you know, refinement has been a priority. Spirituality of various kinds, you know, big interest in psychedelics and the role they play for individual discovery mm. and stuff like that. That's always been a part of my shtick. You know, but it was lacking that mechanism for, for all that being relevant in the world. And I actually think that's one of the things that you know, we talked about the energy and the happiness and the positivity of Bitcoiners earlier. I think that's part of it. I think it's a group of people. I'm, I'm generalizing, but I think it's a group of people that were kind of outcasts a little bit. And they were like, this, this doesn't feel right. There's something missing from all this. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to be a part of this. And you withdraw and you go in different directions. But now something is emerging in the world that's kind of reframing your conception of the world and what it can be and the saying like, that's way more aligned with the things that like who I believe I am. That's way more aligned with the world that I want to be a part of. Okay. Now that that's the case, now there's like actual pressure on me to discover my own potential. Whereas before, maybe you ignore it because who gives a fuck? But now it's like, what might I pursue? What might I become? What is my potential? What is my highest potential? And like, I know this is all kind of cliche stuff, but they're real considerations. And I see them happening in people all over this conference and all the podcasts I do. It's, you know, it's real. And uh, the same is true for me. Like Bitcoin has awakened that thing in me that, that makes me ask those questions of like, what do I want to become? Who's the person I want to be? There's nothing more important than that, in my opinion. And then it bleeds into careers and work activity and income and all that kind of stuff. But Peace and joy and gratitude are the words that come to mind as a result of Bitcoin entering my life and consciousness and the world. Because now I feel that a more peaceful, a more prosperous, a more free, a more truthful world is possible. And that aligns with all the things, concepts, values, etc., that I've always been pursuing and curious about, but was bumping up against their, their relative deficiency in the world. And now they're bursting onto the scene and all these other freaks are getting it too and we get to share in that with people and contribute to it and learn about it and most importantly refine ourselves through it and so i've never been happier in life and it's beautiful okay salute uh, <laughs> I, i'm with you i've i've never been happier in life um but talk to me about psychedelics what do you want to know well <laughs> you tell him about your mushroom experience. I, uh, I lost my psychedelics uh, virginity three weeks ago. And, so uh, go for it. Uh, and not too much to tell. Um, uh, a mutual friend, uh, uh, you all know, um, offered us the chance to go up to his property in Texas and try mushrooms. And I was apprehensive because I have a bad history with drugs. Um, and I'm, I haven't done drugs in years. And so I was just mildly nervous about it. And um, yeah, I, I had a great time. It was amazing. Uh, it was really superficial. Um, a lot of 
shapes and it wasn't what I expected. I I I always thought you do psychedelics and you just you know you see little green men or whatever the cliche thing. <laughs> I didn't realize it's an experience you mostly do with your eyes closed. Mm. I I um and I had the I, I would drift between just sh- like I'm closing my eyes now shapes and colors and then going into like these trance like dreams mm-hmm. where I wasn't seeing it but I, I knew what was happening and then I would come out um. And it was it was a very superficial experience. I tried to go in and be introspective. I tried to ask some big questions about parenting, relationships, relationship with my ex-wife. None, none of that happened. No, no answers. No answers. <laughs> Although, out you know, I would say some of those relationships have improved since. But I didn't get any of that. But I definitely got uh, I I got this hunger to go back mm. and do it again. Yeah, I mean. So this is something I've been interested in since 20 years old. And, you know, at the time, it was just you, you get together with your, your guy friends and you, you go for a giggle fest, right? You all take a few grams and it's meant to be a big fun time. And I double dosed myself accidentally. So let's say we were doing a recreational dose of two grams. It ended up being four or five. And it was a super challenging time because at a lower dose, you know, things are squirrely and it's fun and all that kind of stuff. At a higher dose, I think it brings you to a state of consciousness that's incredibly disruptive to your ego, your conception of yourself and all that that encompasses. And if you're not ready, if you don't think there's anything other than that, first of all, but if you're not ready for that to be disrupted for a time, all the, all the associations and aspects of your identity that allow you to move through the world confidently. I'm Peter, this is what I believe, this is what I have, this is what my preferences are, all that stuff gets packaged up so that you can move through the world, the chaos of it, the threats of it, and be not basically okay. What the psychedelic experience can do, and I say can because like, you can approach this differently. The punchline is a very high dose in silent darkness, either out in nature or inside. You know, So five dried grams of psilocybin plus in the right setting, silence, no, no shenanigans, anything like that. It's stripped... For a time, it delivers you to a perspective that is not tethered in your, the conception of yourself. It strips all that away. This is the idea of ego death, right? Like you no longer have a conception of yourself. And then the, it begs the question like, well, what, what the fuck is my awareness when it's not tethered to all these things that I think I am? And you feel very naked. And, and a lot of people are not ready for that. It's a terrifying experience. And so when I was not ready for that and had this accidental dose, I was in a ball on the floor. I was actually outside by the shit. And, you know, I left, I left my friend, like, I got to go outside. And I was there for 45 minutes. It was hell because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was going crazy. And then, you know, I, I realized I had to stay with it. I had enough gumption, I guess, to be like, no, don't be a pussy, stay. And I did that and then it just clicked and it all went away. And a feeling of Again, there's no language that can properly encompass this. It's an ineffable experience and it all sounds so cliche, but union with the ground of being, let's say. And I think you can only have that experience if that union is not being disrupted by the different things that cause you to be a differentiated individual, a differentiated idea of yourself. You can't experience that degree of unity if you have all these things that are separating you from that. I realize this is all very like weird language, but the punchline is, is that experience caused me to pursue a greater understanding of all this stuff. So I went on Amazon the next day, bought every single book they have on psychedelics. Six months later, I was down on the Amazon for 
three months living with a, a shaman doing ayahuasca on the regular, like trying to figure all this stuff out. <laughs> and uh, what was that like? I mean, the jungle sucks. It's so oppressive, you know, like just the heat and the bugs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, again, curious person, I had to know, like, what is this? What's going on? It's, it's not what I've been told. It's not just a recreational thing. It's not just, you know, drugs are bad, stay away from them. It's something different. There's something of value here. And I wanted to know what that was. And so I was like, well, they've been doing it in the jungle for thousands of years and they take it seriously and I'm not going to be put in jail if I do it there. So let's go figure it out. And um, it's hard to convey to you, you know, precisely what the benefit was. But broadly speaking, um, you know, a, a broader perspective on who I am, what consciousness is, what reality is. And then, of course, the, the question we've been dancing around this whole time is, how then should I behave? Who should I strive to become? I mean, that's, that's the punchline of everything we do. And I find that those pursuits done responsibly are a phenomenal tool uh, or a phenomenal help in that enterprise, in that purpose. I can give you more details if you want. But, yeah, you know. I, I want it. Please do. <laughs> I, I want to know, in the jungle, why do they do it? Like, what's, what's their reasoning? Well, I mean, so... The Amazon is a massive place, right? It's basically the size of continental U.S. And much of it is un, you know, explored still because it's so, uh, such a thick environment. It's just thick jungle and rivers and mush everywhere. But the, the shamans m in most places will say that they've been doing it for thousands of years and they've done it to access you know, the quote-unquote spirit realm. And I know like a lot of us would have an aversion to that characterization, but let's just say another experience of awareness or consciousness and you know some tribes would do that because they felt there was a benefit to be gained by having someone that could access those realms and bring back different kinds of wisdom whether it be like personal wisdom for how the tribe should act or behave and of course there's like a hunting and an element of this like divination sort of thing and i don't know much about that like i don't think these experiences like allow you to predict the rain or where the animals are going to be or any of that kind of stuff but it when you're not so locked into your own individuated awareness, I think you're, you, you're able to access greater pattern recognition because you're, kind of, you're connected to more things. At least that's the sense. And so when you're like that, can you observe the patterns of nature better? I definitely think you can because you're not distracted by all the torrent of thoughts that you usually have and all the different blockages that get in the way. If, if you really are kind of more connected to all that is, well, then you, 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 I think you can derive greater insights from how all that is, is working. And so I think that's part of how or why those practices emerge. They still don't really know how, because, you know, the combination of ayahuasca specifically, it's different for like magic mushrooms and stuff like that. But ayahuasca specifically is two uh, plants from the Amazon. And there's like a shitload of plants in the Amazon, right? So how did you figure out that you had to combine these two? And it's not just like you pull one leaf off a tree and pull, pull another one off and eat it. You have to get a ton of this stuff, like biomass, and boil it down in a giant cauldron for a whole day. And so you might have like, you know, 10 gallons or more of water and you get a liter out of it, of this sludge. It's horrible. It's like drinking mud. Do you have to, do you have to drink the whole thing? No, God, no. You drink a shot of it. Okay. And, uh, and then it delivers this experience. And, but the question remains, like, how, how did they figure that out? Trial and error, I guess. I guess a lot of guys wound up dead in figuring that out. But it's remained for so many years because of the great value in it. And if we look at the Western world, broadly speaking, you know, 
psychoactive practices generally have been instrumental to civilization. That seems to be the case. Now, it's not always psychoactive substances, rhythmic dancing, ordeal poisons, fasting, all of this kind of stuff has been used to perturb consciousness to varying degrees. And, and cultures all throughout history, yoga is another one, for example, have engaged them for some reason. And I think, broadly speaking, we can say the reason is because there's a benefit to doing so. There's some sort of wisdom to be derived from shifting your perspective for a period of time, deriving wisdom or insight, and then shifting it back afterwards, and then integrating that wisdom and insight into your life and into the culture. And, you know, I, I think, I think as a, if Bitcoin really is the base for a new culture, and I think it probably is, and maybe it doesn't happen for another 500 years, but I, I think that's the premise we often work with. I think we're going to see a resurgence of these practices, be they, you know, plant derived or otherwise in forming the basis of that culture. And so to answer your previous question, like for me, I went in that direction because I didn't see a solution in the exterior culture, exterior cultural world. Now I see the solution in the exterior cultural world, i.e. in Bitcoin, as well as the interior landscape that you're able to explore and refine through the responsible use of psychedelics. And a final capstone on that is, have you ever heard of Eleusis in ancient Greece? No. So this is a particularly notable one, but like people like Plato and all the famous people from the classical Greek world attributed the, the height or the value or the advancement of their civilization to these practices that took place at a town outside of Athens called Eleusis. And the formal name for them is the Eleusinian Mysteries. And it was a rite that you experience once in your life if you were a notable person in the ancient Greek world. And we don't know much about it, but it seems to be the case that it was fostering an experience of an altered state of consciousness. It seems like evidence is starting to show that it was, it was a psychoactive substance of some kind. But the punchline was is that people would have this experience and then they would come away with it and saying that was the most significant, consequential, valuable experience of my entire life. And it revivified the culture. And then in the modern day, as you know, because psychedelics were, uh, you know, popular in the 60s, burst on the scene, and then they were criminalized and pushed underground. And only in the last 20 years have places like NYU, Johns Hopkins started to do the medical research on them. And when you read the reports of the people that are involved in these uh, studies, they too report that done in the right way, these experiences are among the most significant experiences of their life. And they stay with them for the rest of the, their life. And, and again, it begs the question, why is that? What's going on there? And that's what they're trying to discover. And I think you know the, the medical approach will only go so far because it's hard to write down on a you know, notepad when you ask someone like, you know, tell me about God or tell me about how you just unified with the ground of reality. It's kind of a hard thing to uh, write down and articulate. But I think by virtue of the fact that more freedom is emerging through Bitcoin and people are more interested in their own development and refinement, who should I be and what should I value, they're naturally going to go to these experiences because those experiences very much help determine the former. And I, you know, I'm a bad example because I, I'm, I probably self-select and pay attention to more of this stuff. But it seems to me to be the case that a lot of Bitcoiners are starting to become interest, interested in this pursuit for that very reason. And so if we really are contributing to the emergence of a new culture, I think these methods of perturbing consciousness and accessing a different perspective for a period of time 
are going to be fairly central to that. Well, I mean, even if you accept Bitcoin, you have to start to alter your thinking on, on a whole range of subjects. And uh, you have to, right, you right. have to re, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people have to reconfigure their life. Uh, you know, you talked about fasting, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, hodling is a form of fasting. Yeah. You think it through. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. You know, uh, and I've, I've tried fasting. It's a struggle for me. I've always been a big guy. I like to eat. I like to wake up and have a coffee and a sandwich or a bacon. I like, I am. And, but I've tried fasting. It's yeah. a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had periods when I've done okay. And you do gain that wisdom from that. But to me, a hodling is a, is a form of fasting. It is a delayed gratification. And with that comes wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a good point. Everything kind of alters your consciousness. Yeah. Like, like even an idea, and I, I, this is, I think, fairly central to the religious phenomenon as well. Like, why is it that a story about some guy in the past, real or fictional, why does it have such an impact on people? It's just an idea, but ideas are what operate the thing between your ears and dictate how you act. And so even something like an idea, like you can be certain of your financial security for 100 years into the future because you hold Bitcoin now. Now, certain is maybe the wrong word, but more confident more than confident. ever before. Yeah. How much does that expand your conception of your own future and the future of your kids and the future of your grandkids? Like it's literally mind expanding when a new idea enters your brain that expands the horizon of what the future could be for you. You know, and so all of this stuff alters your consciousness. I guess what we're saying is like how intentionally should... How should we facilitate that process by intentionally altering our consciousness to gain more clarity about certain ideas that we want to like continue to affect us, to continue to guide us in certain ways? No. But it's a really interesting point that like all everything is consciousness altering, uh, uh, consciousness altering from coffee to an idea to psychedelics. I mean, it's all just a, a soup of things going on up here that ultimately wind up in action and everything affect, affects it. No, I, I'm following you here because what I'm thinking is I think of, okay, uh, my first uh, my first Bitcoin tour of duty, f- did my first four years. If you, uh, if you survive a four-year period, uh, even though I haven't really realized the gains from holding Bitcoin, there is that buffer that now exists. There's that financial buffer. Mm-hmm. And I know what that means for me and I know what that means for my kids. Yep. And it allows me to uh, alter the decisions about what I'm going to do in life yeah. and what I want to do and the things I'm going to pursue. If uh, if I do a second four years and there's a similar jump in uh, net wealth, it allows me to widen the net of who who I can bring into that right. kind of sphere. So I have my kids. I mean, it's there's no way I'm teaching my kids, oh, yeah, you have to go to college and you have to get a job and you have to get a house. I, I'm, I used to. I used to say to them like your exams are important now it's like well what do you want to pursue mm-hmm. um yes yeah, that's really f- and, and you yeah. know an, an obvious one that happens to a lot of bitcoiners is when they feel that way i mean h- how much of anxiety in life comes from job career money all that kind of stuff for most people a lot right a lot and once especially you, right now you can see it yeah absolutely and so what's the impact on your mental clarity and how you determine what you want to do with your life if you can dial that down you say oh wow I have a greater form of financial stability now. I'm not as anxious about the future. How does that change how I engage in the future? How does that change how I engage right now? How does that make available to me resources, mental and otherwise, that weren't available before because they were distracted by that? 
I think it's significant. And so do you think, if, I mean, we've talked about, if we go back to the start, we've talked about failing institutions, crumbling centralized institutions. Certainly there's a stress test, as you said, maybe they've not completely failed yet. We talked a lot about religion and not so much what religion itself, but the values that exist within religion. Do you feel like this kind of runaway fiat system, which is starting to you know, fray at the edges, Hopefully. more than fray at the edges, yeah. do you think some of that is uh, comes from a lack of values, a lack of ideology, a lack of, of you know, things that people anchor to them, themselves to, or do you think it's causing it? It's a great question. I think it's inevitably both, but I think our, our natural state is the former. It's like, you know, you grow up in the world and you have your familial and your community and your nation conditioning, you know, the, the yep. cultural conditioning. And so that affects all that. And, and it by no means delivers to you everything you need. And that's, and you know, that's why, as we've been discussing, like the culture is useful, you know, for socialization, for interacting, for coordinating, for getting what you want, for accessing value. But you can't become it. You have to remain an individual so that you can take from it what's valuable and what you need from it, what benefits you, and not be co-opted by it. And I think what fiat does is it increases the propensity that you are susceptible to being co-opted by the culture, right? The institutions, the government apparatus, all that kind of stuff, because they are able to develop an unnatural size, an unnatural degree of influence by virtue of the fact that they're able to surreptitiously steal from you. Yes. And so, you know, I definitely think it exacerbates it. And, and why is it that here at the time when the system is ostensibly reaching its breaking point, we have this fiat, you know, quote unquote, fiat culture all over the world where people are unhappy, people are, you know, behavior is deplorable in many cases. Like, you know, I think we could all be fairly critical of the state of the world and culture today. And, you know, speaking about psychedelics, um, a guy I used to listen to a lot, Terrence McKenna, he's like a He's dead now, but he was a phenomenal resource in that space. He used to say, culture is not your friend. And I understand what he meant, right? Because it co-ops your will and you, you are directed by it rather than being directed by yourself. But I actually disagree. I think the culture can be a tremendous asset. That's why it exists. That's why we don't all live in the forest by ourselves because there's so much to be gained by cooperating with one another. But we have to make sure that the culture that gets established can't be corrupted itself. If, if it becomes corrupt, we become corrupted. But if we can make, if we can establish it on a basis or a foundation of incorruptible truth, a money like Bitcoin, a sound money like Bitcoin, then I think there's a, there's no guarantees, but there's a much better probability that it will be less susceptible to corruption. And that means we will be less drawn in by that corruption. We will be less co-opted by it. Well, this is, this is one of the areas I struggle with because, uh, the system itself, Bitcoin, because it's truth, cannot itself be, essentially can't be corrupted. I mean, I, I could- Probabilistically. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, could, I can make an argument for, oh, well, in this scenario, these, this group of people, but like, sure. let's just say, generally speaking, it can't be corrupted. Therefore, um, you know, we have truth and honesty with money. We don't have money misinformation, but that's, that's the protocol of the system itself. Individuals can still be corrupted. Mm -hmm. And- that's why I'm not, I'm, I've never been entirely in the Bitcoin fixes everything kind of camp because humans are fallible. Mm -hmm. uh, humans can be greedy. Humans can be violent. Humans have egos. So I kind of wonder in this kind of, this new world where we have this kind of 
much more advanced acceptance and use of Bitcoin, how does that still reshape us? Does this just shift the power dynamics? I think we're finding out right now. Yeah. You know, like I agree, of course. I mean, there's no silver bullet, right? Yeah. We're weird monkeys and we're always going to be imperfect. But that's the whole point. That gives us the opportunity to strive for being better always. It's not like we reach an end and be like, all right, well, let's pack it in because we've pretty much done it. Like yeah. we will always <laughs> be able to strive to be better. And that's a good thing. I'm grateful for that. But yeah, there's no silver bullets and Bitcoin is not a perfect solution. But I think, I mean, simple example, if you were homeless and I said, hey, here's a hundred bucks, go punch that guy in the face. You might do it because you fucking need to eat, right? Yeah. If I said, hey, Pete, you know, as you are today, go punch Danny in the face. I'll give you a hundred bucks for you. You'd be like, fuck you. I don't know, man. <laughs> Try me. Well, the point is, right, like when you're put yeah. in a state of relative deprivation, yeah. you're more susceptible to being corrupted because of your needs, because of your wants, because of all that kind of stuff. But if you're not, if you're in a lesser state of deprivation, and that can be a financial deprivation, spiritual, psychological, all that kind of stuff, if you're healthier, broad, more broadly speaking, I think you're less susceptible. There's a less, a smaller probability of being corrupted. And that's all we can ask for. And then what I think is happening right now, you say like, well, how's it going to fix it? Look around. I mean, beefsteak last night, conference today, all of these people are being brought, upgraded, if I can use that term, by this thing. They're all shitty monkeys like the rest of us, but they seem to be ascending to a higher version of their potential as a result of this thing. And I think we're not the whole world may not be like hardcore Bitcoin maxis because like when when this is just global money, there'll be a less tribal cultural aspect to it, perhaps. But the fundamental values that are inherent in the system will continue to bubble up through the culture. And I think what's going to happen is, you know, when you whoever you are critical of in a cult, maybe if you're walking around South Beach and you see some people, you know, like, yeah, it's kind of like wh wherever in the world you find people that like you're critical of how they behave. That's by virtue, largely, of the culture. Sure, they're responsible for making their decisions, but there, there's so many different signals and conditioning that's in, being imposed on people that dictates their behavior. You know, and a simple one that I use often, and it's probably overly simplified, but like if you and I grew up in the Amazon, in that village that I stayed at, rather than where we grew up, we'd be speaking differently, we'd have different preferences, we'd probably dress differently, all that kind of stuff. So we very much are a product of our culture. That's why it's so important that the culture is predicated on values that we you know, mutually agree are good. And when we buy Bitcoin, when we hold Bitcoin, we're saying the values inherent in Bitcoin, truth, sovereignty, incorruptibility, et cetera, unity you know, through the network, we're saying we agree with those values. We think those values are good. And as a result, we're giving ourselves to them, our financial capacity in this case, uh -huh. to them. And I think if the, the more people do that, the more individuals will experience benefit and the more the culture will be predicated on those very principles or values. And I think that would be an improvement from what we have today. I, I don't disagree, but I do also think back when you said a moment ago, if I, like, if I was hungry, uh, I was homeless, and you offered me $100 to punch somebody in the face, maybe I'd do it. I think the point you're, kind of, you're, you're really making is that when people are desperate or hungry, they may steal whatever to protect themselves you can be eat more easily influenced yeah. by someone providing the things that you think you're deprived of but, you know but, you, sorry but, but where i was going with this is what i'm saying is one of the great things that i think about society and culture and certainly western liberal democracies is the fact that 
we've done a lot to protect people in vulnerable situations, whether that's economic situations, but also uh, with regards to civil rights and, and such. And one of the things I worry about is the loss of that in the pursuit of absolute freedom that we lose some of these things that, that have, I think, been for the betterment of society and culture. How do you think that would happen? Well, you know, I talk to some people who talk about they hate collectivism. They hate taxation and redistribution. Whereas I look at it differently and I think, I think of a, a good society and culture as one that does protect the weakest within it. And I'm, I don't, I think government is very bad at taxation and redistribution, but I think, I think they still do a good job in places like the UK and the US to a certain extent with protecting the weakest in society. And I wonder, I worry about the loss of that. Yeah, well, this is a large discussion, but yeah. I think generally speaking, you know, where I fall on it is don't violate property and do whatever the fuck you want. If you want to live in a society where you contribute 30% of your income so that there's a, a bigger safety net, more power to you. You know, but we live in a world today where that's not really a choice for most people. You know, I, I hope in the future it will be. And I also think it's really hard for us to change one variable of society today without changing all the other variables. Like it's very difficult to look at things in isolation. Like, for example, I think in a Bitcoin denominated world, in a hyper Bitcoinized world, I think one, far fewer people will fall through the cracks, right? So there'll be far less need for a safety net. But I also think the safety net will be provided on a familial, on a local, on a community level more effectively than someone on high in Washington, DC, trying to improve the life of someone on the street in San Francisco. And I think there's a lot wrapped up in that. How do family values change? How does it, the approach to traditional, the nuclear family change? And how much more uh, access to prosperity and, and, uh, and wealth is available when it's not being stolen, when the producti productivity gains of new technology and innovation is not being siphoned away by the money printer. Like all these things go into it. And I think, but you know, we could debate that, right? And we could yeah. say, who, who the fuck knows how it's gonna play out. But the premise is, don't violate property and uh, allow people to make their own choices. Yeah, and any form of uh, collectivism requires violation of property. I mean, not necessarily, because you, you could opt into it. Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, an opt-in system, I think, would be, uh, yeah. I, I, ju I just think it's difficult in an opt-in system to collectively protect the weakest in society. Yeah, I mean, you may be right, but I, I think it will be resolved more emergently than we're, we can currently see. And I think part of the issue with the state generally and all the different things it presumes to have the authority to do is that it causes us to abdicate our responsibility for many of those roles. You know, so in this case, a very simple example is like, if you think you know, you're already giving away 50% of your income in taxes, how motivated or even how capable are you to help the person in your very neighborhood, in the cul-de-sac or the street that the street that you live on, to go above and beyond and help that person. For most people, probably not, because in the back of their mind they're saying, "Well, safety nets are there. I pay my taxes. It's not my problem." But what if none of that happened? And so, one, nobody was stealing from you. You had more wealth. And two, you weren't given a free pass of of abdicating that responsibility because you knew if you didn't do something, nobody else would. Now I know this is idealistic and all that jazz, but I I do. My impression of seeing Bitcoiners operate, you're a great example of this, because when 
I shared that story about the guy oh, in, yeah, in the yeah. town that I'm living in right now. He got fucked over by a scammer. You sent me a bunch of money to make him whole. Why'd you do that? It wasn't the state doing that. You decided that you wanted to help that person. And maybe, you know, because we have a relationship and all the rest of it. But my point is, is that when you have the greater capacity to help and you feel a greater responsibility to help, I think you help more. And I think that's the culture that we're going into. And I think Bitcoiners are an early representation of that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. But at the same time, I can't pin my hopes on hoping people have the same values that I have and you have. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not sure if that's realistic. I mean, there's no guarantees, right? No. I mean, that's part of rolling the dice of reality. I mean, yeah. we take risk in every action that we take. And this is why it's so important to tether them to values. Because if they're not tethered to the values that you deem most valuable or worthwhile or meaningful, yeah. by what means do you establish a compass in your life in to determine action? So I, I agree with you. I mean, it's hard to see all the dots that connect to like this future that you know I've been articulating. But I think that's why we have to defer to call them axioms, values, premises. Uh -huh. And I think one of them is that don't steal from me. Don't violate my don't violate my physical autonomy or my property. And you know, throughout history, there's been laws written to say, okay, I won't violate your property, but I have more power than you, so I'm going to violate your property if I need to, right? At, coercion, threat, or actual force and violence. And Bitcoin allows us to establish a property relation to the most concentrated form of our wealth, which is money, that's nigh inviolable, right? Let's, as you were saying before, like you can be coerced, I can put a gun to your head, but you need my participation to get my Bitcoin if it's, uh -huh. if it's custodied properly. And so that changes the game. And that, that instantiates the... Uh, that property right, the premise of don't violate my property, more so than it's ever been represented or available to people before. And I think that's going to have pretty pr profound political and, and other effects as we've been discussing. Because a law is only as good as the people who decide to uphold it. And unfortunately, in the world we're living in today, we're, we're figuring out that like laws can be changed or circumvented pretty damn quickly if you're tagged as the bad guy. You may not be, right? You, you, you said something on Twitter that you, you didn't think was all that bad, but somebody did and they censored you. You contributed to a cause in Canada recently that you didn't think was so bad, but somebody else did and they cut off your bank account. Mm -hmm. And so laws are great and I think we should continue to refine them and we should ground them into the things that we think are most important. But if we have an opportunity to, to uh, make them more permanent or firm, absent, if, if the... If we have an ability to make them more inviolable, we should take it. And I think that's what Bitcoin is doing. And when our property can't be violated, what happens? I think we get a lot more voluntary exchange. And you can then choose. Like, I want to support these causes. I want to be a part of this city. It's so early, right? Like, we're about, I think we're at the precipice of, like, really next level civilizational change. And it's probably going to be messy a little bit in the transitionary period. But on the other side of this, or as we move forward, I think more good is coming than bad. And that's something to be hopeful for. I think that's a great place to finish it, John. Thank you, man. Listen, this isn't what at all I thought we would talk about. Um, it's quite a profound interview. It's left me with a lot of things I want to go and think about. So I really appreciate you, man. I'm glad we did this because it's been a long time coming. Uh, as you know, I love your work. 
uh, please tell people where to follow your fantastic podcast. Well, first, man, I appreciate all these discussions and it's been a long time coming and it's great to be on this with you and meet the team. And I know you get a lot of flack, you know, or, or have been in the past. And as we've been discussing, like, I think you talk to people, right? And you have this out. And even if, you know, even if we disagree on stuff, I think if I can show you what I'm oriented by, and if I can make a case for the things that I believe and you can do the same, then maybe we can wind up better off after it, right? So Thank it's you. been fun to have this discussion. Yeah. If people want to follow me, uh, they can look up Bitcoin Rapid Fire. I'm also hosting the Closing the Loop podcast uh, for CT and you know, available on Twitter everywhere, that kind of stuff. All right, man. Well, listen, good to see you. We've you both too. got a long day tomorrow. It's going to be fun, man. I'm super pumped. Yeah. I can't wait. Let's, uh, let's go enjoy it. And, uh, go nice. get, celebrate with our people. Yeah, man. Nice to meet your dad. And uh, yeah, peace out, man. Awesome. Thanks, brother. All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.